you need to be known in the country and in the community and you need to be like 100% dedicated to what you do. Who's there? D&D, of course, with Excuria International. D&D, as in do not disturb? Oh, no, this is Discourse and Disclosure with ECI. Oh, you mean the one that's hosted by Ananya and Romit? Bingo! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to D&D. What a week it's been. We've been recording some stellar episodes for you this week, back to back. So stay tuned for what's coming up soon. And if you ever need to recap, please don't forget, all our past episodes are available on the podcast platform of your choice. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Cast, even YouTube. Just tune in and give it a listen. And in the meantime, of course, we've had some interesting developments. Ananya, my co-host, is heading back to campus and university. And I'm sure there are many such things that we have for ADR practitioners to manage and balance effectively, some of which we hope to touch upon today. With that, we'd like to introduce today's guest and host. Over to you, Ananya. I couldn't agree more, Ramit. In fact, today we learn more about striking the right balance with our wonderful guest, Ms. Tatsiana Bayaliva. With that, I wish a very warm welcome to Tatsiana, a multi-talented lawyer and EDR practitioner from Belarus. Tatsiana is also a licensed psychiatrist and is currently helping resolve disputes at the grassroots level for the United Nations. With many years of experience in the legal field, she has transitioned from working in a corporate law firm to being under the contract of the World Bank, where she has been a part of resolving investor community disputes, ISDS matters, as well as grassroots matters. She has been actively expanding access to justice in many countries across the world, especially forced labor in Uzbekistan. She has now switched over as a contractor for the United Nations full-time. Come, let us ask her about what most definitely seems like an interesting career path thus far. Hello, Tatiana. Welcome to Discourse and Disclosure D&D with ECI. Hi, welcome uh, all our listeners and thank you so much for such a nice presentation. I couldn't say uh, more about myself, uh, so thank you. Greetings from uh, Belarus. I'm really excited to be with you. Thank you so much. We were so excited to hear about your journey into ADR and the shift from regular law practice to working with an intergovernmental organizations like the World Bank. Help us understand what that journey was like for you. Well, that was such a quite pretty long journey. I started uh, 10 years ago. Uh, I worked as a lawyer since I graduated from from the law school. So it's been like uh, 19 years. Uh, And I worked as a lawyer and then I started to think that sometimes lawyers, they cannot help people resolve their dispute uh, in their mutual benefit. Because uh, after you have court judgment, uh, there is always someone who wins and someone who loses. 
this and uh, there is no win-win. And then I started to look uh, what could be an alternative um, resolution for my client, for example, if I wasn't sure that uh, he or she is going to win in the court or has like 100% chances to win in the court. And then I discovered uh, alternative dispute resolution methods and one of them uh, mediation. So in Belarus, uh, 10 years ago, they used to confuse the, the word mediation and the word uh, meditation. So you, you, can, you, can, you can tell that uh, <laughs> there were not so much information about this alternative dispute resolution tool. And I started to look where I can learn more about this. And my first step in my journey to mediation and being a mediation practitioner uh, was um, University of Washington in Seattle, uh, United States. So that was my first experience. That's uh, where I was introduced to mediation. That was the place where my first mediation took place in one of the courts in Seattle. Uh, it was a really stressful moment. I remember even now my first mediation. <laughs> then I also got LLM degree at Pepperdine University. Also, that's the United States University and their LLM program in mediation was pretty well known and well known till this time and it's ranked number one in the United States. So second is Harvard program on negotiation and for first one is Pepperdine. So it's quite it was quite an experience. And I stayed there for a couple of years and I learned a lot about mediation. I mediated in courts in Los Angeles in four courts and then I helped students. Uh, I supervised students who were mediating in these courts and that actually gave me a lot of experience. And then I came back to Belarus and we just started developing mediation and I started to work for one of the center for dispute resolution and I started to work with courts and trying to explain what mediation is and how they can benefit, the judges can benefit from mediation, how lawyers and parties can benefit from mediation. So it was like a, a long, long journey. I started, started to train judges, not only in Belarus, but also in Russian-speaking countries and provide them knowledge about mediation. I trained lawyers and I did a lot of pro bono work uh, just to show that mediation worked. My first year of work as a mediator in Belarus was totally pro bono because uh, no, no one wanted to pay for such unknown service. No one trusted this new tool and uh, it took us a lot for people to believe uh, in mediation. And I was approached by uh, World Bank, I think it was uh, three years ago, and they were looking for practitioners who, who practice in, in the country as mediators and who could help to mediate uh, complex uh, and usually multicultural and uh, quite often uh, international uh, disputes that relate investors and communities. And uh, the disputes are quite complex complex and could be very emotional and high conflict because it relates to the interest of the communities uh, who live in certain territory. And when investor comes and uh, start to de develop the project, usually, uh, usually it's quite expensive project that uh, World Bank uh, finances. Some community members or a lot of community members, they got upset with the project because they could be affected by the project. There could be some ecological issues or human rights issues uh, or violation of other international standards. And uh, people could be very upset uh, with the investors. And one of the tools uh, for them to talk uh, and uh, get a resolution 
between investors and community is to go to the World Bank and ask for mediation services. And um, definitely want to hear more about your work in the World Bank while working on these investor community disputes and how they do pan out and how that differs from ISDS. But I think I really, I picked up on something that you said that in Belarus, mediation was confused with meditation. Yes. And I can can swear on the fact that that is, and uh, that still was the case in India as well, from where I'm from till a couple of years ago. And even today, uh, I think a layman would not know what mediation is and they would still confuse it with meditation. But it's so inspiring to see that you were working in Belarus, you were trying to increase access to justice, you were working with courts, and then you were picked up by the World Bank. What qualities or what do you think worked for you which led World Bank to impanel you as one of their mediators? Well, I think here, since World Bank was looking into country practitioners, and usually if we talk about mediation, they do look at the practitioners on the spot. It's really important to be known in your country, to have a certain respect in, let's say, mediation community or in in the community of judges or lawyers, because all of them, they can recommend you, and you never know how it could happen. You can apply directly, uh, for example, example, to World Bank and seek the opportunity to work as a mediator for such kind of disputes, or someone from your former parties in mediation can uh, can mention you in some conversations with uh, the World Bank staff, local staff or international staff, and you never know how this opportunity comes up for you. But first that you need to do is you need to be really passionate about what you do. You need to be known in the country and in the community, and you need to be like 100% dedicated to what you do. Because like I said, it's not only me, but a lot of mediators who just started their work, they worked for pro bono, they taught for pro bono, they did a lot of social and volunteering services and that's how they built uh, their reputation that's how they built their capacity and that's how they become uh, recognizable among the community from what so, i gather i understand that as say a law student who wants to follow a similar path and start working for these intergovernmental organizations it is best to first build a name within the community by working say in your own country and that would give you the considerable experience and also a reputation of sort to then be recognized by these organizations and now since you have made the shift from the world bank to the united nations i do understand that you very recently joined the united nations but can you tell us about how this shift was me. Yeah, and it wasn't a really shift because I'm still mediating cases for, for the World Bank. Now I have two ongoing mediations and they're still going because they, they're pretty complex. And I just wanted to emphasize that I joined UN not as a uh, full-time employee, but it was a it was a contractual basis. And I joined uh, Office of the Ombudsman for UN Funds and Program. That's a grievance mechanism for staff uh, members and non-staff members of uh, five UN uh, agencies and funds. That's UNDP, UNICEF, UNOPS, UNFDA, and UN Women. And that's the grievance mechanism for resolving workplace disputes. Uh, Thank you very much, Tatiana. I think we can clearly see how much effort it takes to establish yourself in the field of mediation, regardless of where you are in the world. And of course, you've told us about just how well-rounded and global your education has been. Taking off from that, you've trained so many different employers, you've worked with judges, you've 
work with intergovernmental agents. Can you tell me how is a mediation process or dispute resolution process itself different in each of these instances? How does a judicial system versus the UN versus the World Bank approach problem solving through dispute resolution? Well, uh, in judicial system, we have a judge who renders a judgment and usually parties, they don't have much control of the dispute. Since uh, one party filed a complaint, so then there is a certain rules that should be applied, certain procedural rules, court rules that doesn't relate to any wishes of the party. So defendant, even if he or she doesn't want to, you know, to be involved in this claim, he or she should be involved because of these rules. Uh, claimant also, when he files the complaint, he doesn't have a lot of control because uh, he is within this court rules. Uh, he cannot say, you know, judge, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I cannot make it today for court hearing. Uh, I, I will do it. Uh, can I do it tomorrow at uh, 10, 10 uh, a.m., for example, because I have something else to do. So there is a lot of flexibility in uh, court proceedings. And in mediation, usually parties, they are in control of dispute. In mediation, both of the parties, if we have, let's say, two parties in dispute, they can choose when and where they would like to meet. They can choose the agenda of their meetings. They can choose the questions or the comments they need to provide. And uh, if we go back to uh, judicial proceedings in court, uh, usually it's limited to judges. So judge, judge tells you or attorney tells you what to do and you just need to follow this. So there is not much of control that the first uh, big difference from uh, from the mediation. And second one, in court, we have, a, we have a judge who, like I said, just renders uh, the judgment. And it doesn't really matter if one party or both of the parties are not happy with this judgment. Usually the judge doesn't look if these parties are happy, if they achieved what they wanted, if they are satisfied. The judge just, uh, does his or her job and that's it. And then again, if you are not happy with the judgment as a party, you have very limited resources, appeal. And in mediation, there is no judgment. Of course. Thank you for that. So I'd like to ask you a quick question, which is what is the most interesting case that you've mediated thus far? And what are the different kinds of cases or matters that you've worked with? Any common type of case that keeps reoccurring? Is there a theme to the nature of disputes that you've worked with? Well, apart from the World Bank mediations uh, that I have now, that is more, that has a, a lot of interesting features, I can tell from my like ordinary mediation practice that I mostly do commercial disputes and uh, labor disputes. And the most common disputes among commercial disputes that's the corporate disputes when we have two or more shareholders, when we have company or several companies or big holding, it doesn't really matter because uh, everything is the same at the end. So we have people who are usually used to be friends when they started their business. Then the business is growing and the profit is growing and the resp responsibilities and functions also growing. And then suddenly, for some reason, they started to be not very happy about each other, they started to count uh, how much money the other one uh, got, uh, they started to count who is the most important, who, who does the most uh, important functions in the company. So usually it, it starts with the friendship and the desire to create a great company or, or like set of companies or holding that 
would be well known and profitable. And then it comes to the dispute among former friends where they are trying to either close the business and just get the parts of the company or they're just trying to figure out how to continue business, but they are not friends anymore. So that's the typical corporate disputes that happen all the time. We know that you've worked with investor community disputes with the World Bank and you still continue to do so. Now, we've all heard of ISDS disputes, which are investor state dispute settlement process. But tell us what is the difference and what exactly are investor community disputes? Well, in investor community disputes, there are two main parties. So one party is usually it's a foreign investor who comes and uh, tries to establish either its plant or enterprise or builds, uh, build a road. But usually it's a, it's a major project that they're trying to develop in the country. So usually it's a big corporation, business corporation, multinational corporation that enters the country and trying to develop the investment project. And from the other side, like I told you before, it's a community, a people who used to live at this territory and now they're facing these big major constructions or major changes or now they're asked to leave because this uh, territory was uh, given to this big company. And uh, in some of the cases, it got very emotional. I have examples when people started to block the road, not to have business entering this territory where they used to live. We have very high conflicts between business representatives and community representatives. So usually it's a very sensitive and quite emotional and complex cases that, that's going on. And there are two main parties, but since the investor enters, country, it usually enters with the permission of the government, of the state. Sometimes state provides land, land plots for that, and that's the state's decision. So state usually, it's not a party in these disputes, but uh, it could be closely involved because that's the provider of investor entering the country. Tell me this, how is World Bank involved in these sort of disputes? We understand that the investor may be somebody who is backed by the World Bank, but why is the community and the people who are affected by this certain investment into their well, living spaces, why do they refer their disputes to the World Bank? And why do they not just go to maybe say their national mediation body? You know, since the disputes are quite complex, I don't know if national mediation bodies can resolve these disputes or have a capacity to resolve these disputes because uh, usually mediators required uh, at least knowing English because uh, on one side we usually have foreign investor so English it's a it's an asset uh, in entering international mediation market this kind of dispute so sometimes local mediation centers they they cannot provide uh, such qualified mediators that one of the reasons second is that uh, World Bank itself provides a, a mechanism for such kind of disputes and uh, it oversees uh, there is a body that is called Office of the Compliance Advisor Ombudsman at the World Bank and it deals with such kind of dispute. Uh, it, usually it supervises the resolution of this dispute so they have certain uh, rules and procedures how to follow and uh, community members they feel more secure when they have this all set up. Thank you so much and in fact I think I recall an example of what you're talking 
talking about the investor community dispute, which was a massive hydroelectric dam project that was set up in India called the Narmada Dam project. And this has been this dispute, I don't think is fully resolved yet at that, but has been carrying on since the 1990s mm. with the World Bank se- sending both fact-finding commissions as well as mediators to try and resolve the conflict. So the proportion of such disputes is in fact quite immense. Yes. And that's something for our listeners to keep in mind. Yes. With that, you have also spoken to us right now about national mediation body and whether they have competence or not. But we certainly believe that you think they're important and they need to be there because you've been a part of helping draft the Belarusian law on mediation. Can you tell us a little more about that process and what Belarus in particular seeks to derive or gain from having such a law in the first place? Yes, uh, I was a part of working committee on uh, drafting the first law on mediation in Belarus. And uh, again, I need to get back to my uh, example with mediation and meditation and just remind all of us that was a hard time to even, you know, to draft and uh, trying to introduce uh, the draft uh, law on mediation because no one knew what mediation was and especially uh, state institutions like Supreme Court, uh, like um, a prosecutor office. Everything was so unfamiliar. So it was a it was a real challenge uh, even to introduce the first draft of law on mediation in the country. So and we are still trying to amend this law. And but first uh, draft of the law on mediation was really much resembling the European directive on mediation. And we got a lot of provisions, of course, adapted to Belarusian reality, but uh, they were taken from the EU directive because it was at that time, it was one of the most advanced uh, laws on mediation in, uh, in, in Europe. We've heard so much about the kind of disputes that you've worked at. And I think one thing I can gather from across the board, whether it be working just within Belarus to be working on such international high conflict cases. I understand that the ADR professionals and specifically mediation professionals work in highly charged and stressful environments. Tell me more about how does one handle the mental strain of this effectively? Because ideally, a mediator is listening to both sides. They are encapsulating negativity and stressful thoughts of both parties. So how does the mediator deal with it themselves? Yes, that's a great question uh, that usually when we start developing mediation, uh, no one pays attention to what would happen with mediators uh, after a couple of these high emotional uh, disputes that he or she resolved. At that time, you know, all attention was brought uh, just to introducing the mediation and, and mediators uh, basically were left alone with the the emotional distress, the, with emotional drain, sometimes with psychological uh, trauma that could happen during uh, mediation. So it was like it was a known area and uh, until recent time, at least in, in Belarus and in our region, uh, no one really paid attention to that. And uh, you know what is uh, the most important here in mediation profes- profession and the most di- difficult for mediator and that causes this emotional stress is that uh, all procedures are confidential. So if let's say you have an argument, uh, if just in real life you argued with your relative or with your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, then you can go to someone, right, and just uh, talk about that and discuss or, or just tell the story that you were involved in. But in mediation, since uh, the disputes are confidential, I cannot even, let's say, talk to my husband and tell him, you know, this party did such and such and that party did such and such. And that's why I felt such and such. So we are so limited mediators. Uh, we are so limited in uh, support net 
network because of that confidentiality rule that we usually don't have anyone to talk. And uh, that's why I got the idea of creation a therapy group or treatment group for mediators that could be conducted only for mediators and where mediators can share in safe and confidential environment their feelings and uh, their emotions uh, they, they got from mediation. That is very interesting. And what you're telling me also sounds a lot like the mediators doing the job of a spy because you're carrying many, many secrets you can't share with people and you're yes. still invisible because it's a party-led process. Considering that, tell us more about this support group that you set up. How does it work exactly? And what do you do in it? And just to remind our audience once again that Tatiana here is a wonder woman. She is not just a mediator and a law practitioner, but also a certified uh, psychologist, which is amazing within itself as well. So t- do Thank tell you. us more about this. Yeah. Yes, uh, I think that's a really important project. And I got my certification in group therapy uh, two years ago. And right away, I start. I started and I launched my first group uh, for mediators, therapy group for mediators. I launched it with one of my colleagues. He's also a certified psychologist. And we decided to try and see how it goes. So that's the group um, to, I will try to explain you. So there is just a common therapy group or treatment group for people. So we, we all, all know such groups and they are widely developed. And we decided to take the best elements of the uh, therapy group and try to combine it with uh, mediation reality. Because uh, mediators, uh, they're involved in specific cases and mediators, uh, they they face uh, specific issues. So we're trying to, we took uh, all the elements from the therapy, therapy groups and try to implement it in a mediation environment. So we discuss mediation issues, but we focus on the therapy also. So we talked about feelings and we talk about recognition of our own feelings and uh, how to deal with the feelings of the other parties in mediation, how to talk with such type of personality, how to diagnose the personality, how to diagnose the conflict. Uh, So we're trying to adjust uh, all this therapy to to mediation reality. And we just finished our third group this month and we already have people who signed up for, for the fourth year. So I think it proves that the group is welcome and well needed and mediators finally find a place, at least some of the mediators, where they can securely talk to the colleagues and get uh, some psychological support. I think that's very important considering the unprecedented times that we're going through. It's not only mediators, of course, they're the mental health we never talk about, but also this taboo around stress, mental health, about anxiety, which isn't discussed enough. So I understand that this is a support group which you have led, and I understand that this may be a very prevalent practice in Belarus, but a lot of countries do not have the sort of support systems um, embedded within them. What tips in self-care measures do you think all ADR professionals should take to become more efficient, accomplished and more relaxed, I would say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for the question for the question it's a good one because usually again we are focused on techniques and tools and principles but we, we for some reason don't focus on ourselves as mediators and uh, you know 
I talked about confidentiality, the principle of confi of confidentiality and how it influences our emotional distress in mediation. The other principle of neutrality, so mediator is supposed to be neutral, so he doesn't give any preference to any of the party, he cannot show that he's angry or she's angry, he cannot show that he or she is upset, he or she needs always, uh, you know, motivate uh, people to discuss, if people, uh, let's say, shout at him, because we have a lot of cases when <laughs> parties shout at mediator, mediator cannot, you know, fight back, so a lot that you cannot do because of this neutrality principle as a mediator, but these feelings uh, that you feel when people shout at you or when people blame you that they cannot settle or when you are angry with someone who is just like, you know, going beyond this feeling, they don't go away anywhere. So we as mediators, we carry these feelings that uh, kind of stuck in us. And that's a common mistake, uh, you know, of mediators who think that, okay, I, you know, I resolved this dispute, I felt such and such, but now I'm fine. Well, it's not fine because all these feelings, they are still there and they just uh, condensed all the time and uh, then emotional outbreaks happening and then emotional uh, distress happening. So my first tip is uh, at least uh, acknowledge your feelings after the uh, difficult mediation. If you cannot tell to anyone, just write down what you felt when someone said that. You, you need to somehow get these feelings out otherwise they they would stuck uh, in you that's my first tip just try to acknowledge at least what you felt because recognition of our feelings gives relief emotional relief if you recognize at least yourself and second tip is uh, try to develop your safety net try to find a colleague that you can talk through maybe it would be a mediation colleague maybe it would be a support therapy group or maybe it could be someone from your family or friends but you can talk just about your feelings you cannot tell what the other parties does but you just uh, do sorry but you just can you can tell you know i felt such and such and then i felt such a sign and now i feel like really like drained and uh, hopeless and uh, i'm in pain so just look for someone with whom you talk about at least your feelings so that that's my two tips Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you very much. With that, we are nearing the end of our podcast today. So I'm quickly going to wrap up now in reverse order some of the things that you've said so that just in case somebody's tired or they haven't heard the full thing, there's a short recap. So beginning with what you just ended with, I think the key takeaway is communication is key, not only with parties and one another, but with yourself. It's important to acknowledge one's own feelings and then respond to them to ensure that you as a mediator can be at peace with what you're doing. Beyond that, of course, you've also taken us in a very interesting direction in talking about investor community dispute settlement. That certainly shakes and questions the prevalent notion of big companies and organizations being only profit mind and the fact that they really care for development and lining their own pockets, that isn't really the case. There is widespread community engagement that you see happening, even with big intergovernmental organizations such as these. And that's an outlook most people in ADR are not familiar with. So we thank you for bringing that to the table today. And lastly, you've shown us that despite the assumption that most people who practice ADR are solo practitioners and work on an ad hoc basis, there is in fact ample room to grow in institutional settings and frameworks, especially globally with organizations dedicated to promoting equitable development, peace and harmony among nations and peace. So with that, we welcome any closing comments or remarks that you have and thank you very much for being a part of this episode today. Thank you for the interest in this topic and I think ADR and 
and ODR, online dispute resolution, that's something that we will all face developing tremendously in the future. And I think for our countries, mediator, that's a profession of the future. So here, now we live in very interesting moment when we still can, you know, prepare ourselves and already be skilled enough to practice this profession when it becomes really important and dependent and well-known and well-paid. So now it's a high time for us, you know, to enter this uh, new market and explore this new profession of a mediator. And of course, we have your two tips, which you very rightly mentioned, to acknowledge our own feelings and to have a safety net to get us through these testing times of COVID-19. And with that, thank you so much once again for coming, taking out time from a very busy schedule to appear on the ECI podcast. And with that, I thank the audience for listening to this podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.